This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, SiriusXM 132. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where I teach innovation, entrepreneurship, and product design. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show our next guests, Cece Morkin, who's the CEO at the meditation app Headspace, and Russ Glass, who's CEO at the teletherapy platform Ginger. Today, we're going to talk about how Headspace and Ginger are joining forces as Headspace Health to expand their list of services. Cece and Russ, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. All right. So this is a this is a complicated show because we're really talking about two companies. But there was amazing news just a week ago that uh, Ginger and Headspace are merging to form a new company, Headspace Health. So I think probably the way to start is let's just hear the elevator pitch for the two companies separately, and then let's talk about how you're planning to put them together. So Cece, let's start with you. Give us the pitch for what Headspace is all about. Oh, I'd love to, Carl. So our mission is to improve the health and happiness of the world. And the way we do that is to help people build healthy mental health and wellness routines that last a lifetime. So we're there with you to build these routines from the minute you wake up to how you go to work, how you deal with your kids, how you eat, how you sleep, how you do fitness programs, deal with financial stress. You know, we have over 5,000 different pieces of content all designed to help you build healthy routines that prevent you from getting into um, mental anxiety and stress. You know, I I almost wanted to laugh at the first sentence because th- that is a big aim to improve the well-being of the world. You know, and I, I I joke with my students that virtually every product design problem, if you abstract it far enough, it becomes the mission statement of improving the well-being of the world, but you're actually going right after that. So that's that's really amazing. So so Russ, probably because of the podcasts I listen to, I've heard more headspace ads than I've heard uh, ginger ads. So you tell you get give us the elevator pitch for ginger. Tell our listeners what ginger is all about. We are an on-demand mental health company, and our, our goal is to solve the supply-demand imbalance that exists in the world where there are far more people who have a need for mental health care than than can get access to support. And we're doing that through through innovation where we've we've, you know, recognized that we're not going to solve this problem by finding more therapists or or finding more coaches. We're going to solve this problem through really rethinking how care is delivered. And so Ginger has built this system that allows us to provide 24-7 access to care. So anytime, day or night, within 60 seconds, our members can connect with a live behavioral health coach. Those coaches will understand what the members' needs are. They will help them build a a routine and build a plan for improving what they need to improve on. And then they'll hold them accountable for that plan. For those members who need more care, they will bring in a therapist, bring in a psychiatrist if medication management is needed, and then they'll work as a uh, what we call collaborative care team in order to make sure that member has the care they need. And then once they're done with that higher level of care, the coach acts as step-down care. We then surround that entire system with a lot of technology to monitor what's going on, predict what might be needed, help scale the care team 
ultimately in service of getting our members healthier as fast as possible. Great. Well, Cece, let me go back to you. I'm guessing, just to reiterate, you announced last week a merger and it's a big deal. So you're going to become Headspace Health. And I, I, I'm guessing that you've had to make the pitch a few hundred times as to why these two companies make sense uh, together. So give us that story. First of all, how, 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 to what extent they're differentiated and how it makes sense putting the two together. Yeah, Carl, if you think about it, every one of us has mental health. It's just a matter of where we are in the continuum. We're either in the prevention and promotion area, which is the mindfulness and wellness that Headspace provides, or we're in the condition management or even curation area, which is what Ginger provides. And so what we want to do is help people throughout their life on that continuum, wherever they are. And when they need extra help, we can provide that help, but then we can put them back into uh, mental health and wellness. We looked at Ginger and Headspace looked at each other and saw the beauty of bringing these two things together to help people on that entire continuum. And we will be the only provider in market that supports people throughout that continuum, throughout their lives, based on leveraging technology and humans and that incredible connection that comes between the two of them. So we're super excited about what, what we're gonna be able to deliver. I should add too that, you know, as Headspace and as Ginger, um, we've been, Headspace has been asked to move further into the mental health and support mm -hmm. area by both our actual members who say, you know, hey, sometimes when I need a little bit more help, I wish you had a person. Um, and our enterprise clients who have said, we love the Headspace brand. We would love it if you went further into mental health. And that's a big part of the reason the two came together. Yeah. And so you will operate as, as has been described in the press releases and so forth under the brand Headspace, which by the way, as a guy who teaches this stuff, I love the brand. It's, 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 a, it's, I mean, it's great. You own the domain. Uh, it's a great brand. So I think that that does make a lot of sense. So let me just underscore what I think I heard. You, you can make in a, in a merger, you can make two basic arguments for why to merge. One is uh, a sort of just expanding of the market uh, where you're doing similar things, but you put the two companies together and it's a bigger company. So if we could get past the antitrust issues, it might be, you know, if Lyft and Uber were to merge, what you've got is a new company that's Uber Uber, right? That has even more uh, riders. This is a different story. This is a story about uh, a greater scope of activities that is putting together complementary services that cover more of the of the market. And that's the other reason that a merger can can make sense. Makes sense. Okay, Russ. Um, without getting into, I, it, you're both private companies, you don't disclose this stuff, but I, I can describe at least what I read on Crunchbase, which is you've raised similar amounts of capital. So north of $200 million in capital. And I'm sure there, you know, there were extensive debates about how to value the relative, put valuations on the two companies. But let's just, for the sake of argument, assume that they're similar valuations, big valuations, you know, approach, approaching or exceeding a billion dollars, let's say, for, for each of you. Um, there's got to be a story. Your investors aren't, aren't charities. Uh, there's got to be a story for why this makes sense financially. So describe a little bit the financial logic of putting Headspace and Ginger together and how, what the, how do you make the case to investors? 
Good question. I mean, it starts with the industrial logic. It starts with the business logic. And, you know, CC described this notion of creating together the most accessible, comprehensive digital mental health and well-being platform, right? So it starts there and our customers have been asking uh, Headspace, hey, could you do more? We love this brand. We love how many of our employees engage. North of 25% of an enterprise will engage in Headspace when they, when they put Headspace in place. Our, our realization as Ginger is that we needed to get more people activated. We needed, you know, we, we see about 10%, maybe 12% of the population. And so when you put these things together, you get more people upstream thinking about their mental health, thinking about resilience, you're destigmatizing, but then you're giving them the full spectrum of need. So that's the first piece of industrial logic. The second piece is that Headspace has a wonderful global consumer business. And they have millions of consumers using the Headspace product every day. Ginger does not. Ginger is entirely B2B. As you put those two together, there's great synergy. And there's a flywheel that gets created by that Headspace brand and awareness that feeds into the enterprise. And it drives the high utilization. It drives enterprises wanting to put this in place for their customers. So that was part two. I think the part three here gets into the opportunity we have as a joint company to democratize mental health across the globe, to, to really use this end-to-end -end platform to make this accessible to the billions of people that need support. And when you look at those three things, then the financial logic starts to become pretty easy, right? There's a huge TAM, there's a huge need, we believe we can be the low cost, most accessible, most comprehensive provider of this. Uh, it's it becomes an easy equation for investors to look at that and say, okay, you know, it's it's just execution risk now. And when you can move from market risk to execution risk, and you've got the quality of teams that each of these companies has together, it feels like a pretty great pretty great opportunity. Yeah, quick follow up on this topic, CC. This is an intensely competitive space. Uh, to what extent is this is this going to be a winner take all space, a highly networky kind of business? And to what extent does that lead to pressure to get to get bigger and to cover more scope? You know, there's a couple ways of thinking about uh, the whole winner take all. Uh, mentality, but um, let me first start with, you know, there's a big problem out there, which I think we've articulated that needs to be solved around uh, the acceptance and the stigma around mental health, which uh, is a lot of the work that we do at Headspace by making it really approachable. The access, uh, which is the access to, to uh, coaches and therapists that Russ laid out and cost. And so what we see that we are putting together is a method to address all three of those. Um, a very approachable uh, solution with leveraging technology and data, which I'll come back to in a minute, to be able to do through things like natural language processing and ML, provide the right level of care at the right time so that we keep the therapists and coaches free for those situations where it's really needed. That starts to bring down the overall cost. So our view on that is by being the most comprehensive, most accessible, most low cost solution, 
we would be the most attractive one. Now, if you add to that how we can leverage data, only leveraging data to deliver better outcomes for people, the larger you are, you know, the more robust your models get and the more predictive we are in terms of the pathways that we recommend to people who need care. Uh, and with, you know, Headspace already having millions of users, millions of members, um, and the models that the two companies have built, you know, we think we have a rapid time to market for that. Okay, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on SiriusXM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Cece Morkin, who's the CEO of Headspace, and Russ Glass, who's the CEO of Ginger. Uh, Headspace and Ginger have recently merged to form Headspace Health. All right, so you guys are really convincing. This sounds like a great story to me. I totally believe. Uh, but now it comes the hard work, which is you have to take this vision and actually integrate the two companies. Russ, uh, you, you, you've seen the pitfalls probably, and at least read about them and maybe experienced them. Um, what, what's your plan for integrating these, these two organizations and to what, ex I, obviously there has to be some integration, otherwise what's the point, but talk a little bit about the integration plans. Sure. First of all, both both CC and I have both seen uh, acquisitions and mergers, and and so that that's a great starting point. That that we've seen things work, and we've seen things that haven't worked, and have have compassion for what the organizations will be going through as as we put this merger together. I think it starts with culture. I think it starts with alignment of who the companies are and a shared purpose. And what's so wonderful about this merger is when you look at the, the culture of the two organizations, and it was something we talked about very early on in the conversation, it just feels like we're already on the same team. That's a huge piece of this because if, if you have that cultural alignment and like the host isn't gonna reject the new organism, right? And you have a shared purpose, it frames this the right way for the whole organization. We're all swimming in the same direction. We're all coming at it with a point of view that we're serving a bigger purpose here. And so some of those smaller decisions that might get complicated in an, in an organization where you don't have that, we're not gonna have to worry about as much. And we still have to execute. And, and so part of how we're looking at this is do no harm, right? Make sure each business can continue to execute effectively. Integrate only the things that really need to be integrated and learn. Take our time understanding what the market tells us. Take our time understanding what these, these products together will look like and how our members are reacting to it and use that information to make good decisions about you know, how the company evolves over time. Yeah, so that makes total total sense. Given they are relatively separate businesses, at least initially, they can continue to operate with some autonomy. That's certainly a strategy for keeping the 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 machine running for sure. But you are not a conglomerate. You're not. Your goal isn't to assemble independent operating units. So, Cece, what what is the plan? What are some of those synergies? And what is the plan for the points of integration? Couple of things on that, and you know, you made a, a comment earlier, Carl, about the different kinds of uh, mergers that take place. Which you know, I would say one is consolidating, which was 
the example you gave. And the other one is capabilities expansion. And this is definitely capabilities expansion. So our focus is not around trying to find efficiencies in the organization, mm -hmm. but rather optimizing opportunities. Um, and so the, the obvious first one is going to be the uh, go-to-market efforts with our enterprises. So the enterprises, as I mentioned before, were already asking us to do this. So that's an area that we said, let's put that together, have a common story for them. They're going to be anxious to hear about this and the benefits it, it delivers to them. It's also going to enable them to work with fewer providers, which was one of the things we heard as well. Um, so that will be one of the first things we did. The second one was some of the enabling functions we've, we've, uh, we will be putting together. So things that you would expect, like uh, people in places and the work that we do for our talent, uh, the finance, because obviously we want to have one method for reporting on our fi financials, but the functions like product uh, and technology, and uh, those are the things that we're going to keep independent because we both have roadmaps that are super important for us to deliver on. Uh, I want to shift gears just a little bit. You were both founded around the same time, 2010, 2011, and so you've been around a while, and neither of you were founders on the founding team. And when Dana, my producer, reached out and said, hey, do I want to do this? I said, absolutely, because it's a super interesting story. But normally, I talk to early stage startups and to the, to the founders. You both are coming in as adults, have come in as adult supervision in some ways uh, into startups. Uh, and, and Russ, I'm going to give you a funny story. I was an assistant professor with Sandy Pentland. I just realized as one of your co-founders, yeah. we actually did a project together. So I have a really clear insight as to what some of the craziness uh, in, your, in your founding team and in entrepreneurial companies in general. So I want to turn to the question of adult supervision and coming in in that role. Russ, why don't we, we start with you? What's it like to come into a startup as the adult, as the professional super, as the adult supervision? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think my wife would take umbrage with the adult supervision <laughs> categorization. <laughs> so let's throw that out there. Uh, but, you know, secondly, I, I've, I've never done this before. I mean, this, you know, I've been a founder. I've, I've started and grown companies, but I've never come in and really actually to be totally candid, never thought I'd come in and join a company that already existed and, and take over as their CEO. It was just never anything that was in my mind as something I wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with Ginger. I fell in love with the problem space, the, the size and scale of the issue. And, you know, as I was thinking about on starting another company, I recognized that I, I wasn't going to come up with anything that was as impactful, as important as this. And so, you know, I maybe put my ego aside and said, well, let's, let's see if I could and wanted to come in as, as the CEO. And I, I would say the, the experience, it's been wonderful. It's certainly a lot of learnings for me. The, the I, I'm brand new to healthcare, uh, and, and that was a big question mark for me. Could I come in and, and learn healthcare? Uh, and it, it, my thesis was yes. And there was enough to do to get the company cranking, you know, from some cultural shifts and changes to, to building that demand gen and commercial engine out to hiring the next level of people. So really getting the, next, the superstars that you need to execute um, there was enough work to do there that I could figure out healthcare along the way. And then by the time I, I sort of got that engine going, 
I would be dangerous on the on the strategy side and the healthcare side. And that's you know more or less what happened. And uh, it's been a it's been an incredible experience. And and the the company has really rallied around. Um, you know, both the culture we built and, and fortunately me as a leader, and, and it's just been a lot of fun. All right. Let's same question for you, CC, but I think you will have a harder time evading the characterization of adult supervision because you were, if I read your, your resume correctly, spent 13 years as a SVP senior executive at Intuit, which is certainly no longer a, a, a startup. So you came from big tech company, uh, and came into a startup. Talk a little bit about coming in as a as a as a real manager. Well, first of all, um, one of the things about Intuit. So I was at Intuit for uh, 13 years and ran three different businesses there. But um, one of the things about Intuit is it is known as a uh, you know 30 year old startup. So things like innovation, uh, experimentation are uh, all throughout the company. Um, but it's also known for how it develops leadership and leadership capabilities. And so when I came to Headspace and when I was recruited away from Intuit, my reasons were very similar to Russ's, which was I fell in love with the mission of the company and I fell in love with the founders. They are two wonderful humans. Um, and what they needed was what I was you know, OK at doing, which was developing leaders putting in processes that would enable us to scale. Um, Headspace was well past the startup phase. Um, you know, it, when you've got millions of cus paying customers, you've, you've moved well past that. And so we needed to put in processes in place that would enable us to be much more predictable uh, and consistent. Uh, and and uh, for the teams to feel that you had development programs in place that helped them expand their careers. So um, over the past year, we've put those things in place and it's been amazing to see how well they have uh, leaned into those. Also what I've learned from them where they've made them even better, um, but it's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a great experience, I think on both sides. Yeah, so I wanna circle back, Cece, with you on something you said. Uh, one of my uh, friends and colleagues at, at Penn is Roy Rosen, who spent a lot of time at, at Intuit. Uh, and, and, and he, I think he was chief innovation officer, so head of innovation at, at Intuit. Talk a little bit about what Intuit did to, 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 to remain a, a startup. I'm super curious about that. Yeah, Roy is wonderful um, and uh, was very much a part of this. Um, you know, it started at the executive level. So it started with um, Brad Smith uh, really leaning into, um, you know, we need to constantly be reinventing ourselves. And so we put in place a experimentation culture uh, where we focused on one of the things we would always say is don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem, and then uh, test and iterate and experiment your way to finding those solutions. And we gave recognition constantly to teams who came up with new ideas, whether they worked or not. Mm -hmm. We celebrated the failure. We celebrated the wins all in service to learning. And it was so it became embedded in the culture. I will tell you that you need to have a process for that to work. And at Headspace, it was called Customer Driven Innovation and Design mm -hmm. for Delight. We've mm -hmm. launched something at uh, Headspace, which is called Hypothesis Driven Innovation. It's a very similar concept, um, but it puts in place a, pro a process and a practice where people have both the time to innovate and the tools to innovate. Wow. Well, that's a whole new show. And since I, I teach innovation, I'd love to learn more. But but I want to 
I want to turn to current events. Maybe Russ, has uh, there been winners and losers in the pandemic period? How has your industry fared, and and what what's been the COVID experience for? Let's start with Ginger. I don't think there's any doubt that the pandemic has represented a coming of age of telehealth. I think that you know you see some organizations like Kaiser Permanente that had five percent of its visits pre-pandemic in telehealth and went to 85% of its visits telehealth during the pandemic. And what's, you'll certainly see some retrenchment as you come out of the pandemic, but, but the thing about telehealth, for those of you who have experienced it, is once you've tried it, you really don't wanna go back, right? There is there's such an elegance to being able to not take your entire day going to a waiting room and running the risk of getting some other illness. And, you know, if in the mental health world, when there's where there's stigma involved, having someone see your car parked in the parking lot, I mean, all of these things that you can now just do in the comfort of your home. So I think in general, telehealth's a, a, a been a huge winner that the, I would posit that adoption has accelerated by five years, wow. uh, you know, and that's never going back. I think it's why you see some of the massive investment going into the space now, because investors realize that this this uh, space has accelerated as much as it is, as much as it has, and and um, that combined with the fact that mental health in particular was so underinvested in historically, there's just this giant vacuum of interest and need now that that investors are trying to catch up to. All right. Well, Cece, we just have a, one minute, but uh, I would guess the pandemic had big effect on the demand side for you. Talk a little bit about the pandemic and Headspace. You know, probably the area that we saw the biggest impact, uh, Carl, was in the enterprise space. So the number mm. of times that CEOs mentioned in earnings calls that mental health was their number one priority was up 500% last year. And uh, if you see the number of companies out there that say this is a priority, so the shift to where this is now talked about in the enterprise is is phenomenal. Um, The the other area I would just highlight though is the impact that we've been able to have with people who are care providers or frontline workers. We made the decision to offer our services to free when there's people in dire need. Um, and you know, our hope is that that causes a, a pattern for other companies to recognize when their products can be provided for free to help people. All right, well, it's a fantastic story and thanks for sharing your insights. I assume headspace.com will be the, the eventual uh, parent website, but for now also ginger.io would be a place to go to learn, learn more. Uh, Cece and Russ, thanks so much for making the time. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, that's all for today. If you missed any of the last hour, feel free to check it out on the SiriusXM app and be sure to follow our channel on Twitter at SXM Business. To follow me, go to my website, ktulrich.com. That's K-T-U-L-R-I-C-H. Or follow me on Twitter at ktulrich. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School where I teach innovation, entrepreneurship, and design. And you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 